Welcome to Kenny Hills French Church. My name is Alec, and I am the youth pastor here. And if this is your first time, um, I just want to extend to you a special welcome. And today we are going to be in week three of our new sermon series called I Quit. If you haven't been uh, here the past two weeks, I'll catch you up to speed real quickly of what we've been talking about. But week one, we looked at comparing and how that drastically affects what God wants to do in our life. I talked about the idea that we were all made for a unique plan and that the only way we can really fill that out is if we quit comparing ourselves to other people around us and just step faithfully into that. Last weekend, Matt talked about fear and how fear is actually a place that reveals what you and I are scared of and where we quite don't trust God in that area. And what we want to quit is fear, saying, you know what? God's in control of, the, of this, his hand's in it. And if we just give it over to him, he's going to do what he wants to do through us. And today, um, this, this, uh, um, this topic really hits home for me because um, I'm a millennial and we are full of excuses. And all the parents said, amen. Uh, but today we're going to be looking at how I think if we quit giving excuses, not just to people around us, but especially to God, that God can do a lot this year. So I hope that as we go through this um, topic today, that if you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you, or if you feel something that we talk about that maybe just hits a certain chord or a string in your heart, maybe it feels uncomfortable or you don't like it, that you wouldn't just let it end there, that you would just let it come into your heart, begin to change some things, and you walk out of this building changed. You walk out of this building with maybe a different thought process or idea, or maybe just quit giving excuses at all this year, because we're going to look at two different stories within the Bible that I think shows a good picture of how excuses can really uh, prevent God from doing things in our life. We're going to look at something in the New Testament, an example of some people who gave excuses to something that was really awesome. And in the Old Testament, how when God was calling certain people to do things, the first thing they would respond with was excuses. But like I said, this theme hits home for me um, because I'm a millennial and we love to give excuses. And I think the first time um, I really understood of how quick I am to give excuses was when one of my buddies named Michael Scherner um, texted me like on a Friday night to grab coffee. So um, he said, hey, Alec, do you want to go Saturday morning to get a cup of coffee? And if you don't know me, I love coffee. If there was a such thing as an IV, I would walk around with it and just hooked up to me. Coffee is the best. Um, but he said, hey, Alec, you want to go get coffee Saturday morning at 6.30 a.m.? And I was like, oh, that's really early. Like, for a millennial, I'm like, man, you guys are probably all awake. You're like, 6.30, that's late. Me, I'm like, give me three more hours, and we'll call it, like, good, right? So he calls me. He's like, hey, you want to meet up? And I'm like... Not really, but I haven't talked to Michael in a while. I know whenever we get together, it's always like this great like spiritual moment. Like we're just talking about what God's doing in our life. It's great. And it's just like really encouraging. So you know what? I'll say sure. So I said, yeah, we'll meet Saturday morning, 6.30, coffee shop down the house. I'll see you then. So I go to sleep and have my alarm for 6 a.m. And I wake up and man, let me tell you, I was tired. I felt like I got hit by a train and I probably looked that way too. And I just woke up and I'm like, oh, 6.30. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go. And I'm like, and I told Michael I would be there like at on time. And I just don't feel it this morning, even though it's coffee and I love coffee. It's just one of those mornings I just don't want to go. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to come up with like a super spiritual excuse. I'm going to come up and say, you know what? Like this week's been so hard on my heart because doing ministry, like, man, I'm just spiritually drained. God has just really taken all, like my cup is now empty and he hasn't quite filled it up. So I'm like giving like super spiritual, like excuse to Michael. And Michael is kind of similar to me. Um, your students can attest to this, but we kind of like just see like, like what's really going on. Like we both have the spiritual gift of discernment to where you could walk up and say, hey, this is who I am. And I can just like see underneath that and say, oh, it's not who you are, but I'll give you time. So Michael just like, he tells you how it is. If he sees like something in you that he's like, God can do more, he'll tell you how it is. So instead of being like, oh yeah, brother in the Lord, I understand how like you're spiritually drained. He goes, 
why, why are you giving me an excuse? And I was like, oh, did it work? And he's like, yeah, dude, like, why are you like just saying this to me? Like, if you were tired, like if you didn't want to wake up, last night when I texted you, you should have said, hey, uh, Michael, I- I'm too tired. It's been a long week, blah, blah, blah. But you waited until the last second to give me an excuse and I'm not buying it. Like, you're going to meet me there. And at first I was like, oh, I was like, maybe this is a dream and I'll wake up and it's 6.30 and I'll try to get this going. I was like, oh my gosh. He's just like telling me how it is. And at first I was kind of thrown off. I didn't like it. But then in that moment, I realized, you know what? Like, He's calling me out because he really cares about me and because I'm giving him this poor excuse that I didn't want to meet up with him and just really do life and talk about some things. And let me tell you, when we met up, it was a great conversation. But if I was quick, if I really hung on that excuse, or if Michael bought it, we would have missed out on a really good time. And that's the first time I realized in my life that when I gave these excuses over, not just to people, but to what God was trying to call me to do, there were some things that weren't able to be done in my life because I was just giving excuses. I was looking at a situation or looking at myself or looking at things around me and saying, you know what, God, um, I don't want to do it because of this. And, and today we're going to look at two different groups of people that I think would do a good job of capturing all of us in this room and saying, which two are you? Are, are you this group that gives excuses or are we this group? And I think that the Spirit is going to move today and that hopefully this will be a start of us quitting giving excuses this year. So we'll be in two different parts of the Bible. The first one will be in Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. So if you have a Bible, please turn there. But if not, we have it up for you on the screens. So Luke chapter 14, verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At that time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all liked to, began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Verse 20. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. In April, that will be my excuse. Verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants saying, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there still is room. Then the master told his servant, go out onto the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of the banquet. So we have this parable of this great banquet. And what's going on? You have this man over 2,000 years ago who's throwing this elegant party. And what he's doing, he's saying, you know what? I want my closest friends and family to be a part of this because I'm opening up my house and extending an invite. There's going to be food. There's going to be drinks. There's going to be laughter and great stories told. And I want my friends and family to experience this. So he sends out his servants to go about and say, hey, He's calling you. He's throwing this party. Please come, please come, please come. The servants go out and spread the word. And this guy is probably hustling. Here's what we need to understand. There's no such thing as Stater Brothers, Vons, Mother's Market, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, or even Amazon. We're like, Amazon doesn't exist? Sounds scary. None of that existed at this time. So imagine throwing that big of a banquet for all these guests without those things I just listed. You go, it's impossible. So this probably took about like two weeks to set up, going and get all the, you know, the fat and calf, going to get this, and then all the things to throw this grand party. So a lot of planning has gone into this. And this guy is probably excited. 
excited because he knows his closest family and friends are going to be there. They're going to dine and have a great time with him in this great banquet. And he sends out his servants. They go, and nobody shows up. And at first, he must have been really heartbroken. He must have been, man, like, those people I invited, they're my friends, they're my family. Think of those people that when you send a Facebook invite, that you send it out, and it's those first 10 people that pop into your head. Those are the people that this guy invited the first round, and yet they didn't show up. Instead, he goes, man, I, I spent all this money on this, and I want people to come in to dine, to enjoy this, to be in my presence, and yet they're not here. Well, let's go out and just invite anybody. Anybody on the streets, doesn't matter. I want them to be here. Think about that person that randomly, you know, sent you a a Facebook friend request and you accepted from high school that you don't talk to. That would be the person who would show up. The person you're like, oh, cool. We had a conversation or two, but we're not that close. That's the second group that shows up. And here is the reason why I think they show up is because they understand not not only who this man is, but how great the banquet's going to be. Because they've probably heard stories about the parties and the dinners this guy has thrown in the past. And they go, man, those things were elegant. They had food for days. There was plenty of drinks. I heard Jesus turn water into wine. I'm there, right? They probably heard all these things, right? And they go, man, if I only got an invite to this grand party, if this man only extended his open doors for me to come in and dine with him, man, I would be there because I've heard these things are great. And all of a sudden, the servants show up to that group of people. And the Bible describes them as not the most healthiest people or not the people with the most resources. This is what the Bible says here. It says, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys in the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, what we need to understand about these people, they have absolutely nothing in this time. There were no such thing as hospitals back in this time. That only happened once Christians became the followers of Christ and said, you know what, we're going to go and care for those who are sick. Because in this time, if you had any of these things that were listed, you would be thrown out into the streets. Because one, it was expensive to take care of you. And two, if you didn't have those resources, what was your family going to do with you? There was no place for you to go. So, so we have this second group that goes, man, I'm out in the streets. No one's taking care of me. I'm possibly going to die in a couple months. I have all these body ailments that are affecting me. Man, just to get an invite to this thing. And there the servants show up and say, hey, he's invited you to this party. He's invited you to this banquet. And I think right then and there they understood this is the best dining place I could ever go to, and I want to be a part of it. So Jesus tells a story, not just for us to understand, say yes when a friend invites you for dinner. What he's doing is he's painting this beautiful picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. The man in the story represents God, and God invites all of us to this grand banquet with him, meaning salvation, that Jesus comes to us where we are and says, hey, I prepared this great feast for you, and in fact, it's going to last for eternity, meaning there's no end, and I want you to be a part of it. I want your presence. I want who you are. I just want to be with you and dine with you forever, and what do we do? We go, Jesus, man, I would love to, but I just don't have enough time to, to, to spend time with you, God. I can't read my Bible. I can't pray. My job's taking a lot of my time, God. You're calling me to serve. You're calling me to give more money. You're calling me to do all these things. But God, I have a lot. I just bought a new piece of land and I want to develop it. So God, call me when that's done. Or God, I just got married and there's a lot of things to be figured out. But God, like, that's cool and all, but I'm just going to offer you up an excuse. But I think if we, like the second group, were to understand what God was inviting us into, I think we wouldn't be so quick to offer up an excuse. Because this is eternity with our creator. We will be feasting with him forever. And he invites you in. 
He invites me in and says, I just want to be with you. I just want to spend time with you at this grand table with everybody who is following me. I want to invite you in. And I think if we understood that picture of what God is inviting you and I to, we would stop giving excuses to him. We would say, yeah, I am busy. And yeah, I have a lot of things going on, but this is my creator inviting me in. This is my creator reaching out to me, extending this invite and saying, I want to dine with you forever. I want you to be a part of my family. Come into these open doors because I have a grand feast for you. See, the second group understood that. They understood of how much need they were of a savior. So then once that servant came to invite them, they were ready to go. They didn't say anything. They didn't say, man, my elements are going to prevent me from walking. They said, I'll make a way to get there. I don't have any, I don't have a horse, a donkey, nothing to ride, but guess what? I'm still going to be there. They could have said that. And out of this two people groups, they had the most opportunity to give an excuse. Because they could have said, I'm sick. I don't want to get you sick. I, my legs don't work as well, so I can't get there. They had the most excuses they could have offered. And yet, once the servants show up, they don't offer a single one. They just show up and enjoy the feast with this man. And God is inviting all of us in this room to do the same thing. He's saying, don't offer me excuses. Just come. I provided this feast. I provided this grand banquet for you, and I want to be with you. But if I'm being honest with myself, I don't quite fit into this story. The, the excuses I don't offer up to God, or I'm busy, or I'm getting married, maybe in four months, like I said. But right now, this really isn't where I fall. I think in the second part of the Bible is where I fall in Exodus chapter 3. And what we're doing is we're going to look at Moses for a little quick bit. And we're going to see the offer or the excuse that he offers up to God. Because this first group was, ah, I'm, I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. But Moses, he didn't offer that. What he did is he began to look at himself. And that's something I struggle with, is when God calls me to do certain things. Is when I hear, oh, Larry say, hey, Al, you're going to speak this weekend. What I do naturally is I kind of fall back to where Moses did. Is he begins to look at himself and says, God, you're going to call me? You're going to call this man who's broken, who's done things in the past, who doesn't have it all together? You're going to call me to do something? And we're going to see God's response. I think when you and I begin to look at ourselves and who we are and all the flaws and mistakes we have and say, God, I can't do this, we're going to see how God answers. So Exodus chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jericho, or Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he fled the flock to far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses thought that the bush was on fire. It did not, uh, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. 
I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. In this next verse, we see Moses offer up an excuse that I can relate to that is my struggle. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Well, we need to understand what happened not too earlier before this passes is that Moses just murdered somebody in Egypt and he fled to this town, the city of Midian to get away from this. So imagine all the guilt. Imagine how Moses is looking at himself in light of who God is. Imagine all that that he is dealing with. And all of a sudden God meets him in the middle of that. He goes, hey, Moses, I want you to go back to that place you ran away from where you killed somebody and you're probably wanted and go there and free my people. And immediately Moses goes, wait, God, like, do you know who I am? Like, I have so many flaws. I murdered somebody. Like, I am not somebody worth leading your people out of oppression. God, why are you sending me? And here's a beautiful response that God says to him in verse 12. And God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. It's like he doesn't even acknowledge Moses' excuse. He hears him and he just goes, I'll be with you. He doesn't go, oh my gosh, Moses, I totally forgot. You're the wrong Moses. Let me go to the other Moses who's well-kept, who has his life together, who didn't murder anybody and isn't hiding. That's the Moses I was supposed to go to talk to. God doesn't even acknowledge that Moses says something in reply. He just goes, I'll be with you. And that's what God does to me when I begin to look at myself, who I know I am at the end of the day, when no one's around me with my flaws and my shortcomings, when God calls me to do things, I go, God, do you know who I am? Do you really want me to speak in front of adults? Do you really want me to lead, you know, teens? Do you really want me to do this? And God goes, I am with you. See, in those moments when we offer up excuses because we're looking at ourselves, what God is trying to say is it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. God is just trying to use us to do something. And if you continue to read this story, you'll see this beautiful picture of a man who's broken, who's a murderer, who goes on to free his people and go into this land with milk and honey where his people get to be. And that's just because Moses had this thing called willingness. He had this thing that was saying, you know what? Maybe I don't have it all together, but if God is going to be with me, then maybe I can get this done. See, God isn't looking for our excuses. He's looking for our willingness. God is not looking for our excuses. He's looking for our willingness. What he wants us to do is say, hey, it's not about you. I already know who you are. I've made you. I've seen the things that you have done. I know what you're going to do. And I don't care about any of that. I just want you to be willing to step up and do what I'm calling you to do. But if you and I are too busy giving excuses to God, If we're too busy thinking, man, this is on me and I have to perform, I have to be this great person, I need all these things in order to do things, then God's not going to be able to use you this year if we're too busy offering him up excuses. See, the thing I love about the Bible is that every time we open it and read a story about someone, everybody is jacked up. Peter in the New Testament, he has anger issues. He cut off some dude's ear. Moses, he's a murderer. David, he's a liar and adulteress. We have so many examples. We have Rahab, who's a prostitute. We have all these people who are messed up, who are jacked up, have plenty of reasons to say, God, I can't do this because I have all these excuses. And yet God says, I don't care about any of that. I just want you. I will be with you. I want to use you. See, this book would not be here if we didn't have people who are willing to do what God is calling them to do. We wouldn't have this book. 
But it's only because people said, you know what? This God, my creator, who rules over everything, who made the universe and who came down and died for me and conquered the grave, he is calling me to do something. I want to be a part of that. I'm right in with it. Because if he can defeat death, then he can use old me. He, He can use me with my flaws, with my mistakes, because it's he who is sending me. See, no excuse that we could offer God can keep him from doing what he wants to do in us. There's nothing that we can remind God or tell him that would say, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry. There's none of that because God knows you inside and out. And that's why I just love the Bible because it reminds me time and time again when I am quick to offer up my excuses. When I'm quick to try to remind God who I am and not who he is, that God goes, it doesn't matter. I don't want an excuse. It's not about you. It's about me using you. See, I'm the last person that should be up here. I am the last person who should be giving you this sermon, but it's only because I have willingness to follow what God calls me to do. I don't have it all together. My fiance can tell you that. She'd be like, "Mm mm-hmm. I don't have it all together. I have flaws. I have shortcomings. There's things I need to work on. But it's only because I look at God and say, God, you're asking me for my willingness and that's all you need from me? Then I'll go ahead and step into it. So when I was writing this, um, I was looking for a clip to bring it all together. And you'll be surprised on what clip I found. But I really think this scene from this movie ties it all together. So check out the screens. You have only one choice. The ring must be destroyed. What are we waiting for? cannot be destroyed, Gimli, son of Gloin, by any craft that we here possess. The ring was made in the fires of Mount Doom. Only there can it be unmade. It must be taken deep into Mordor and cast back into the fiery chasm from whence it came. One of you must do this. One does not simply walk into Mordor. Its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs. There is evil there that does not sleep. And the great eye is ever watchful. It is a barren wasteland, riddled with fire and ash and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. Not with 10,000 men could you do this. It is folly. Have you heard nothing Lord Elrond has said? The ring must be destroyed. And I suppose you think you're the one to do it. And if we fail, what then? What happens when Sauron takes back what is his? I will be dead before I see the ring in the hands of an elf. No one trusts an elf.
will take the ring to Mordor. anywhere without me. No, indeed, it is hardly possible to separate you even when he is summoned to a secret council and you are not. Oi! We're coming too! We'll have to send us all tied up in a sack to stop it. Anyway, you need people of intelligence on this sort of mission, quest, thing. Well, that rules you out. You shall be the Fellowship of the Ring. Right. Where are we going? Surprised I picked Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but here's the reason why I chose that clip. is because you look at that council, right? You look at all the different people who were sitting around that circle, and there were so many more people that were more qualified than Frodo to do the job. You have Legolas, who in the two towers can throw a shield right down a flight of stairs and shoot bows at orcs, right? You got Gandalf, who can cast spells and defeat this giant fiery thing that looks like the devil in shortly after this part, right? You have Gimli, who has his axe, who can just destroy orcs that are three times his size. You have Aragorn, who's going to be king of Gondor one day. You have all these people who are legendary in that circle, and what do you see them do right at the start? They give excuses. No one wants to step up. No one has the willingness to do what needs to be done until Frodo is thinking about it. He looks at the ring and he understands what's before him. He goes, you know what? This thing has incredible power and it's evil and it's dark. And if someone doesn't step up and do this task, it's going to go really bad. See, Frodo, all he had was willingness. He wasn't qualified to do this. He didn't know how to hold a sword. He can't shoot a bow. He can't throw an axe. He can't do any of that. He was just willing to do what needed to be done. And the same thing comes with God's call on your life. Is if you don't have willingness, you're not going to be able to do what God has for you. If you offer up, offer up excuses, it's not going to happen. See, God doesn't look for the qualified. He qualifies the called. And if you want to be someone that's going to step up to what God is calling you to do this year, you can't be giving him excuses. You can't be in the group one where it's, I don't have time, I don't have this, I'm not available. Or group two, it's looking at yourself and saying, I'm unequipped, I can't do this. You know who I am, God. You can't use me. God doesn't need any of that. The only thing he needs is your willingness. So my challenge to you in this new year is that we quit giving excuses to what God is calling us to do. That we say, you know what? It doesn't matter who I am at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how busy I am because the God of the universe who's created this wonderful banquet 
this beautiful dinner that's inviting me into his kingdom for eternity is calling me to do something, and I'm going to step up and do it. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for this church. I thank you for this body of believers, God. And Lord, as we go through this sermon series, I ask that it just won't be another series that we look over. God, we look forward to the next one in February. That we nod our heads, we smile, we write down notes, we read the Bible, God. But then once we leave this room, we forget about everything that was said. God, I ask that you would just challenge everybody in this room, no matter where they're at in their faith, no matter which two of the groups they've fallen, offering up excuses to you, God. I ask that you would just convict people right now in this moment, God. Uh, to the person who's maybe had a really jacked up past, whether it was their fault or not, God, whether things were done to them or they did things, God, or they think they can't do what you're calling them to do, I ask, God, that you remind them of everybody that's in the Bible of how you worked through them, God. No matter what they came to the table with, no matter what jacked up history they had, God, that all you were looking for is willingness in their hearts. So I ask, God, for that person who just needs that willingness, you would just give them to right now and encourage them and remind them it's not about them, God, but it's about you working through us. And for the first person, God, who maybe is just too busy, I ask you to remind them what this life is about. That, God, there are responsibilities we have to take care of, and you call us to be good stewards of everything in our lives, and that is great. But, God, at the end of the day, this life isn't about us. It's not about our family. It's not about our job. It's not about our money. It's about you, God. So I ask, God, that you will move in this room right now. You will move in the hearts, Lord, of these people. Because if what you've called Canyon to do can only be done if these people are on board for you, God, and we can't do that if we're offering up excuses. So God, I ask that this new year will be a year of not excuses, but a year of movement, God. That we would just come to you with our willingness, along with our brokenness, God, along with our flaws, our shortcomings, everything, God. We'll just approach the table with you and look forward to dining with you one day and say, God, here's my willingness. This is all I have to give to you. So Father, we thank you for today. I ask that you would just keep encouraging this body of believers to keep going forward no matter what you bring to them this year, God. And we thank you for time and time again that you have this table you want us to be with, God. That you've opened up your doors and say, come in, come dine, come be with me. I want to be with you. So God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your forgiveness, God, that we can even be in relationship with you. And I ask God you to continue to bless this church and these people. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen.